want to fill us with your word. We, we, we thank you, God, that you left us this great and glorious love letter to show us how much you love us and how much you want us to be like you so that when we come into your presence, we understand what holiness is. So, Father, I pray right now that uh, you would prepare our hearts to receive the word. I pray, O oh God, that you would forgive me of my sins, that your blood would wash me, O oh God, that I would be uh, completely clean and that you would hide me behind the cross so that others may see you and not hear me. Lord, we love you today. We praise you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me as we prepare to read God's holy word? Last week we were in Luke chapter 6. This week we are in Luke chapter 6. It's, it's up here. We're on chapter 6, and we're verses 24 through 26. Luke chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. And it reads, But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And then Jesus said, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Let all God's people say, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Family, I titled this message, Now and Later, Part 2. If you didn't hear Part 1, you can go to the website and listen to it, and it'll fill you in a little bit better. But the subtitle is, Warnings to Avoid Eternal Mistakes. Warnings to Avoid Eternal Mistakes. You'll shoot your eye out. You know, if you keep making that face, it's going to stick like that forever. Don't touch that stove, you'll get burned. Get down from there, or else you're going to fall down and crack your head open. If you do that, you'll go blind. You know, sometimes as parents, we have a strange way of, of getting our children's attention to warn them of impending danger. But it's something that we must do because we love them, because we're here to protect them. We want to see them grow up and live full and meaningful lives. And all we're trying to let them know is that um, while they think about the here and now, we're thinking about what's going to happen later. We've lived some life, and because of that... Um, we have some experience and some insight uh, to what exactly our impulsive flesh and selfish desires will get us into. We have a little bit of understanding what will come of the things that we do today because we know that the now impacts the later. Amen? Now, as children, we just, we just see us, our, our parents as being old and out of touch, right? They don't want us to have any fun. I mean, how am I going to learn anything on my own if they just don't let me try, right? They don't understand. Who cares what might happen later because of something that I do now? And family, as I looked at this, I recognize this is an interesting paradox because as adults, we're able to look back upon the past and understand what we struggled with. We're able to see the ways that we tested the waters and the times that we failed. 
We're able to look at the times that we succeeded and see how it helped to, to form and to shape us into who we are today. Now, if we had not made our own mistakes, the wisdom that we have today just probably wouldn't exist. If we uh, had forgotten what we gained insight from when we almost put out our eye, when we almost cracked our head open, right? We have scars that remind us that not paying attention will cause us pain. The bottom line is that we are the people that we are today because of how we experienced life in the past. And, and many times we experienced it without regard for how it might impact our future. Am I the only one here that's done that? All right, all right. So here's the paradox. How are our children ever going to develop into the people that we are trying to raise them to be if they don't step in it every once in a while? If, if, they, if they don't mess up, if they don't grow along this journey of life by making their own mistakes. Now, I've come to a conclusion because I'm putting my parent, parent lenses on. I think I've been a parent a lot longer than I was a child. Amen? But I've come to the conclusion that as a loving parent, that all I can do is tell my children what I see because of my position, right? Because of my perspective and, and, and the hope that they take heed to what I have to say. Right? That they'll make the right choices then. But sometimes all we can do is give our children a stern warning in order to protect themselves from, them, protect themselves from themselves and from the world. So I'm here to tell you that that's exactly what Jesus is doing here with the disciples. He's looking into the future of their lives and he's giving them a warning as to what to avoid now if they want to inherit eternal life later. Right? So today, Jesus is doing the same for us. What he did for the disciples all those years ago, he's doing for us today. He's hoping that we might be different people, different disciples. But you know, Jesus Christ, he's the same, right? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He loves us, he wants to protect us, and he knows what the future holds for our lives. So here he is giving us a warning to avoid eternal mistakes. So for those of you who didn't make it out last week and hear part one, let me catch you up. Let me give you some background to these woes that we're hearing today. The Bible tells us that Jesus had gone up to the mountain and he prayed to God the Father all night long. And after he prayed, sometime during that prayer time, the Father decided it was time to set apart 12 men out of all the disciples to be called apostles, to be set apart for a different purpose and a different plan. And so he called out Simon. He called out um, Andrew, James, and John, you know, the sons of thunder. He called out Philip and Bartholomew. He called out Matthew, the tax collector. He called out Thomas. He called out James, the son of Alphaeus. He called out um, Simon the Zealot, right? Right? And then the last two was Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who we know as the betrayer, Right? Then the Bible tells us in verse 17 that Jesus came down from the mountain with the apostles and the disciples stood with him there on the plain. And at that point, as he's surrounded by the disciples, as he's surrounded by the apostles, the multitudes are around him and they're wanting to be healed. They want something from Jesus and Jesus is more than happy to give it to them. They came from all over the place. They came from Jerusalem and Judea. They came from Tyre and Sidon. These people walked more than 20 miles to see Jesus. 
because they knew that he had power over sickness and he had authority over the demonic. So as they're gathered there, he, he delivers this sermon. And last week we talked about it. He gave the Beatitudes. I'm going to refresh your memory. The Beatitudes are blessings. And it's typically a statement or a condition of blessing or happiness that consists of two parts. It's a statement of the condition and it's a statement of the results. It's the, it's the now and it's the later. It's the before and it's the after. So here in Luke chapter 6, he records those four blessings. He said, blessed are you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. Then he said, blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Then Jesus said, blessed are you who weep, for you shall laugh. And blessed when men hate you, when they exclude you, when they revile you, and when they cast out your name as evil, all for the sake of the Son of Man. Now, as Jesus proclaimed these four blessings, I believe it's a picture of how the followers should be if we strive to be the Christ-like person that he wants us to be. But as he continues on in the sermon, he pronounces four woes. And that's where we pick up Jesus' sermon today. Amen? Amen? He says, so, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And woe to you when all men, when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. And in this context, I believe that we need to read these woes the same way that we read the blessings. We need to see them as a statement of the condition, followed by a statement of the result. Now, these are clearly not blessings. I don't want you to walk away and say that, These are blessings. These are woes, and they are warnings, and it is critical that we take heed of them. So the first woe says, but but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Mm -hmm. Family, Jesus is making a direct contrast to the previous blessings that he proclaimed. He said, blessed if you are poor, but he says, if you're rich, woe to you. Uai is the Greek word. Uai, he says. He says that's a woe. It's a statement of grief. It's a statement of sorrow or distress. He says, woe to you who are rich. Now I want to ask you a question. How can being rich, how, how can having money, how can having property, how can having things be a source of grief, grief for our Lord and Savior? I mean... Didn't Jesus, if he was the son of God, didn't he read the scriptures? Didn't he know what they said? Now, I'm going to tell you, we're supposed to prosper, right? If you look at the Old Testament, it clearly says we're supposed to prosper. And I'll tell you, prosper doesn't mean to be poor, right? So if we look at Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 5, it says, And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. And then it says, And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. Now, that sounds like a promise from God for me, right? That sounds like prosperity. That doesn't sound like being poor, right? Joshua chapter 1, verse 8b says, For then you will make your way prosperous, and you will have good success. We talked about Psalm 1 last week, and verse 3 says, In all that he does, he prospers. Now, family, the problem with that is, is that when we look at the bits and the pieces of the Scripture, we're not looking at the entire picture. Right? We're picking and choosing what we want to say and what we want to read just to prove our points. We're doing what we want to do to prove our point and not to proclaim the truth. 
Now, I remember somebody else who had done this. He did it in the desert. He did it to Jesus, right? And what Jesus did is he rebuked him, right? How did he rebuke him? He said, it is written, right? He used the word of God in the right way. So in order for us to get us right, get it right, you know how we do it at New Beginnings. We have to dig into the Word, right? We have to look at the culture. We have to look at the context. So if I look back at Joshua 1 and 8, we find that there's something that has to be done before the prosperous ways and the success will come. It says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it night and day so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written. For then you will make your ways prosperous and you will have good success, right? So we have to do something. We have to do something before we become prosperous. And Joshua says we have to meditate on the word of God night and day, right? Psalm 1 said, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, right? Not in the, or, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in what? The law of the Lord, the word of God, right? And on his law, he meditates day and night. And then what would happen? If you meditate day and night on the law of the Lord, it says that you would be like a tree planted by the water, right? You would yield fruit in its own season. Your leaf would not wither. But in all that you do, you would prosper. So don't you see why culture and context is so important when we read the word of God? When we take scripture out of its context, we get it wrong every time. And when we get it wrong, we apply it wrong. I don't want to apply it wrong. The word of God is too deep. It is too powerful. It is too critical to get it wrong. So I had to dig. And when I dug, I looked at the Greek in, in this verse. It says, he said, woe to you who are rich. But what's interesting is, when I looked at the Greek translation, it says, Woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comforts. What's really odd here is the Greek word for, the base of the Greek word here for you are receiving is apeko. Apeko. Which means gaining something by being separated from something else. So here Jesus is saying, to the disciples, if your focus is on being rich, then you've already been separated from the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying if your focus is on riches and of the things of this world, then you're already lost. You're already separated from God. Reverend White on Wednesday night at the revival preached about, Abraham, about Abram, and God said, separate yourself from the world. This is what God wants us to do. He wants us to separate ourselves from the world and the worldly things. He doesn't want us to be separated from Him. Now, if we're focused on being rich and getting all that we can now, Jesus says, whoa. When our focus is having things that we have now, Jesus says, whoa. When our desire is for the things of this world, Jesus says, whoa. When we're focused upon the now, we've lost the kingdom later. And to those people, Jesus says, woe. 
Woe to you if your focus is having your best life now. You know we've all heard it, right? We've, ta- we, we've, we, we've heard these preachers talk about having your best life now. We've talked about these preachers talking about the blessing overflow. We've heard these preachers talk about getting all you can now. Family, that's not what life is about. Because this is a contrast to the blessing. Jesus said, blessed are you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. But now he says, woe to those who are rich. Because you're separated from the kingdom of God. New King James Version calls this, if you're rich now, you've got your consolation now. Now, I don't need to break open the English book to tell you that, we, that, 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 that consolation, that doesn't mean you want anything. Right? <laughs> if you're first place, if you win, you don't get a consolation prize, right? <laughs> I'm just telling you. <laughs> What Jesus is telling the disciples is that if you're more concerned with accumulating the things of the world now, then you have already received your consolation. That's all you're going to get. What you would have received later has already come, and there's nothing for you to look forward to. So he's warning us how to avoid these eternal mistakes. If you're wanting nothing because you have all that you want now, what is there left afterwards? What is there to look forward to? How can you have any hope in the eternal life that Jesus gives us? If all you um, have is all you want, and all you want is all that you have, what sense is there looking for anything better? What sense is there? You know, I had a discussion this morning about different translations, and, and the New Living Translations of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 14 says, For this world is not our permanent home. And we are looking forward to a home to come. So if we're not looking forward to a home to come, what are we looking for? I'm here to tell you that this is not my home. This is not your home, right? And I don't know about you, but I look forward to heaven, right? I look forward to being putting putting on that robe. I look forward to walking those streets of gold, right? I look forward to a body that will never, ever, ever grow old. Amen? But more than that, the prize that I seek is being the presence of God Almighty. It is in Him, in Him alone, that there are the depth of riches that we could never imagine. It's the thing that we hope for. I'm telling you, I don't want the consolation prize. I want the crown of life. Amen? If you have it all now, you're probably not suffering from anything or with anything, right? Is there anyone anyone here that can testify that because of your suffering, because of your lack for something, that because of your situation, that you actually have something to look forward to in heaven? Amen? Right? That you have something to look forward to in His holy presence? We We don't want heaven to be the consolation prize. No, that's not the consolation prize. One day we'll get before God. We want to hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant, right? Believe me, if you have it all now, you will never seek God for something. You will never seek what God plans for you. You will never seek what God wants to do in you. And when you cross over, you'll get exactly what you were looking for. Nothing. Nothing. The second woe, 
Jesus says, woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. And family, when I looked at these woes, a couple of things happened. One, I got to be honest with you, I really didn't want to do this. I really did not want to follow up the blessings with the woes. I, I tried to get out of it and say, Pastor, I, I, can't, I can't do it. I, I can't do a series of preaching. Are, are you serious? He says, this is the word of God. It is applicable. It is, it, is, it is on time. It is right each and every time. So when I looked at these woes, I, I was scared. But when I dug deeper, I recognized that the first two woes, he says, woe to you who are rich and woe to you who are full, they're pretty similar. Now, riches and, and wealth doesn't exactly mean that you're full, right? But I believe that these two go hand in hand. What the light of the world is telling the disciples is that um, when you have a now mentality, when, you have, uh, 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 when you're filled now, then, then you'll surely hunger later. That's what he said. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. What he's doing is he's warning us against the eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die attitude, right? He, he, he's telling us that being rich now, being full now, go hand in hand. Because when our focus is on that, it's, our focus is on ourself, and it's nothing about God. He says, woe to you whose minds and hearts are filled with selfish thoughts and whose lives are filled with selfish ambitions. Because when you fill yourself with money and the things of this world, you've got no room left for God. When you fill yourselves with money and the things of this world, you've got no room left for God to come into your life, to fill your heart and to fill your soul. When you fill yourself with money and the things of this world, you've got no room left for God to do any work in you and through you. I'm here to tell you that when you're focused on filling yourself with everything in the world and everything that the devil has to offer, you've got no room left for the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. So if you claim to be a disciple, if you claim to be a follower, if you claim to be a Christian and you fill your life with the things of this world, if you fill your life with money, if you fill your life with trying to keep up with the Joneses, God can never fill you the way he desires to fill you. God can never fill you the way that you were designed to be filled. Now you do know that you were designed to be filled by God, don't you? Right? As pastor would say, I've got some Bible for my theology. If you go back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it tells us that God formed man from the dust of the earth, right? And then it says he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So there it is. God's desire was to fill us. God's plan was to fill us with him and his Holy Spirit. So when we fill ourselves with the things of this world, there's no room left for God. And when we have no room left for God, we have no desire to do the things he wants us to do. We have no desire to reach out to the lost. We have no desire to reach out to the poor. We have no desire to be a missional person that's going to seek the lost, to reach out to those across the street, across the city, to reach those in Anaheim or in Fresno or all across the world. If, if you have it all now, if you are filled now, if you are abounding and you never know what it's like to be abased, your attitude towards God is different. 
because you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll think things like, I don't have to do anything to have a relationship with Christ. I can just give to charity. I don't actually have to go and feed the homeless. I can have someone else do that for me. They do that on Saturday. They meet. I don't have to do it. I'm part of the church, right? You'll say things like, I don't have to go into all the world to make disciples because I'll just send someone else. I'm excited because Sister Taylor says she's gone to Haiti and she's seen the things, but she is being a mission to the city of Fresno. I'm here to tell you that you can do that, right? You don't have to go to Congo. You don't have to go to Haiti, but you can go across town. Amen? There's a lot of people that are too bothered to participate in the kingdom work because the fullness of this world gets in the way. You know, they've lived a blessed life, and in their opinion, there's nothing to compare to it. They've got the houses, they've got the cars, they've got the boats, they've got everything that they can want, so they see no need to grow their personal relationship with Christ. You know, their mind is different. They think that they've gotten it right. I've given enough. I've paid my tithes. I've given an offering. They think that they did great things, but I'm here to tell you that when you have your mindset on being filled with the things of this world, when you meet God in heaven that one day, your knee will bow. And he's gonna, you're going to look at him and say, Lord, Lord, didn't I? Didn't I? And you know what he's going to say? He's going to say, depart from me, for I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. All I'm trying to say is that if you continue the way you're going, if you continue to do the things that you are doing and you want to be filled with the things of this world, that you run the risk of being eternally separated from God. So woe to you who are filled. Woe to you who are filled now because, believe me, God will empty you out later. You know, our prayer should be like our worship song this morning. Fill me up, Lord. Fill me up, Lord. Fill me up, God. Fill me up, God. I know it sounded repetitive and the words were the same on the screen. And we continue to say, fill me up, fill me up, fill me up. That's the kind of filling that we need to have. That's the kind of filling that will make a difference not only in our lives, but in the lives of the people around us. So fill me up, God. I pray that your spirit fills me up. Woe number three as I move along. And and Jesus said, after he said, woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are full. He says, woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. And family, this is the counterpart to the blessing that Jesus proclaimed in verse 21. He's warning against our attitude and our lifestyles. He's telling the disciples that if they laugh now, that if they mock the things of God, if they reject his commands and and we do things that please ourselves, that one day we shall weep. And I had to ask myself as I looked at this, does does God really want us to be somber and serious all the time? I mean... He's called us out from the world. He's set us apart from the world. We have reason to smile. We have reason to laugh. We have reason to rejoice. But but he says, 
Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and you shall weep. And I thought that if we're disciples of Jesus Christ, if we walk in the Spirit, then we should bear fruit, right? And what's some of that fruit that's called? Joy, right? Now, now, don't we laugh when we're joyful? Yes? Oh, okay, I want to make... Do, do you laugh when you're joyful, Deke? I'm just making sure. I'm, I'm not the only one, right? You guys sound like you're not sure. I know this is a heavy message. It was heavy for me to study. It was heavy for me to prepare. But, but, but we can laugh a little bit, right? Because we have joy. We have the joy of the Lord in our lives. So, so aren't we supposed to enjoy any part of our life now? Right? If Jesus is telling us it's all about later... And I'm here to tell you that, yeah, yeah, we're supposed to enjoy life now, and, and we're supposed to enjoy life later, yeah. right? Uh, but if our focus is on our lives live now, then we've got nothing to laugh about later. And when I tried to, to figure out really how to explain this, uh, I, I dug into my commentaries, I dug into some of the men of God that I respect and things that have been written. And a friend of my library put it this way. He said, Christ is talking about those whose lives are a continuous cycle of amusement, entertainment, and pleasure. They act as if life was made for fun and for frolic, and they seem oblivious to the desperate condition of people that are outside of Jesus Christ. So he says, woe to you though who laugh, for you shall mourn and you weep. Now, when I talked about weeping last week, right, Jesus said that um, he was telling us when we weep we should, that our hearts should break for the condition of man. We should weep, weep because sin has run rampant in the lives of men and women, boys and girls. We should weep because uh, of the one that has been snared by the wiles of the devil. I said it was a holy weeping. When we weep for the lost, when we weep over injustices, when we weep over the downtrodden, when we weep for those who are hurting, to weep for the poor, to weep for those who are caught in the strangleholds of addiction. But then, when those of us who claim to be followers do nothing but laugh now, when we're focused upon ourselves and on our own life and on our own pleasures, then one day, in His presence, we'll have to give an account for what we do. And believe me, I believe that, that when we get into his presence and we have to give an account for what we do and we have to tell why we laughed, we're also going to have to explain what we did with this life that he gave to us. When we're in his presence and, and he says, why did you laugh? We're going to have to explain why we didn't do what we should have done with the resources that he gave to us. When we're in his presence and he says, why did you laugh then? I gave you these gifts and these talents so that you could make a difference in this world. Family, I think that when we get to that day, we will then mourn and we will then weep because we'll recognize that we missed the opportunity. We'll recognize that we wasted the chances that had been given to us so that somebody else's life might be changed. That's what our life is supposed to be about that mission statement that we should go into all the world and make disciples, that we should worry about others before worrying about ourselves, that we should think about their joy and their peace and the, the, the infilling presence of the Holy Spirit with them rather than ourselves. Jesus said, Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall weep and mourn later. Family, as I move forward here, we're on verse 26 in the fourth and final woe. Jesus says, woe to you when all men speak well of you 
for so did the fathers to the false prophets. And what I really believe here is that this woe speaks to the center of the human condition. You know that human condition, right? That's the one that is under the influence of Satan and under the influence of sin. Right? This woe addresses the core problem and was the reason why Lucifer was kicked out of heaven. It was the reason that Eve and Adam were deceived. It was because of pride. The thought and the belief that we are better than we actually are. So, so woe to you when all men speak well of you. Is it really bad that, that people think well of us? I'll tell you, I fought this all week long. I fought this all week long. I, 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 had, I had people say, hey, that was a great message last week. I, I had someone say, I chewed on that, and I heard this, and I heard this, and I heard this, and I fought so hard all week long not to have all these people speak well of me because I was afraid I was going to lose my humility and that pride was going to take over. I was afraid that my head was going to be puffed up and that I thought that, guess what, I could do it all. I could get up here next Sunday, I could stand flat-footed, and I'd be able to rightly cut the Word of God, and everybody would come around and say, Hallelujah, you did a great job, and the cycle would continue. But I fought against that because, how do I put this? What we're doing when we proclaim the Word of God is we are planting seeds of hope through Jesus Christ. But while we're planting these hopes of seeds through Jesus Christ, I'm here to tell you that Satan himself is planting seeds of destruction. The Bible tells us in 1 John that we actually fall victim to the world because of these satanic seeds. 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, what? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It is not of the Father, but it is of the world. So it is in our prideful state that we desire for men to talk well about us. It is our desire for men to speak good things about us. Nobody wants somebody to talk bad about them. Everybody wants to be liked. Everybody wants to be loved. But Jesus is cautioning the disciples that they need to be careful about how and what men speak of them. Now, maybe the, when, when people talk good of you, when maybe tell you, that, that, that wasn't right. When maybe when people talk well of you, I guess that would be the right way an English major would say it. When they talk well of you, it's maybe because you haven't said anything that has brought conviction to their heart. Maybe the talk about you is good because you haven't spoken out against the ways of the world. Maybe the talk is good because the scripture that we're quoting, the lessons that we are teaching, the sermons that we are preaching, they never cause for any inner reflection. They don't convict anybody of their sin, and nobody feels a need to repent and to be saved. Come on. I'm here to tell you that chances are good that people won't talk good about me this week because I came and I preached about the woes. But you know what? I don't care. I'm preaching what God has told me to preach, and I'm standing in a world where it's about ourselves, and I'm saying it's not about me. It's about God. It's about what God has to say. So when people say, why is it that you believe what you believe because I say the Bible says? You want to be mad at me because of what the Bible says? Be mad at me because of what the Bible says. I don't care. 
family if we aren't speaking out about the injustices in the world around us. If we aren't proclaiming to them that the solution to all that we see going on is found in Jesus and Jesus alone, then guess what? They're going to speak well of us, right? If, if we don't speak out about how the world is shaking its fist at God through the popularity and the acceptance of gay marriage, through transsexualism, about drug abuse, about adultery, about satisfying ourselves, about absentee fathers, right? Then they'll speak well of us. When you sit back and say nothing, absolutely nothing about what you see, how can they hear Jesus saying, Wai, woe to you. Woe to you. Woe to the world. If we don't say anything, how could they know? How could they know? Amen. I don't know. Let me give it to you another way. Maybe we're rightly dividing the word of God and we're telling the truth about Jesus Christ to all who we come in contact with, right? What about us? What woe, what grief can we cause Christ? Brother preachers, I'm here to tell you, I caution you that we grieve Christ when we believe our press clippings. We grieve him when we are puffed up with pride and, and our humility has left the building, when we're filled with the praises of everyone around us. So to you preachers, I say guard yourself from this. What some may say for good, Satan will use for evil. Do you really think that the, the, the preachers and pastors really set out to fail and to fall? I don't think they do. Do you really think that their, their intention was to crash and burn? I don't think they do. But clearly at some point, they missed hearing Jesus say, Woe to you! Now I'm not just talking to the preachers here today. I'm talking to the teachers. I'm talking to the parents. And I'm talking to everybody else here. Be careful when everyone speaks well of you. When your accomplishments in front of people... And the praise from people become the reason that you do what you're doing. Woe to you. Now, there's nothing wrong with feeding the poor. There's nothing wrong with clothing the naked or seeking the lost as long as you're doing it for the glory of God. Right? As long as you're doing it to uplift Him and you're not doing it for yourself or for the praises of men. And this is why it is so critical that when we read the Word of God, when we proclaim the Word of God, when we teach the Word of God, when we share with our children the Word of God, that we get it right each and every time. That we get it right each and every time regardless of who we offend or who we might be able to, 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 uh, to, to hate us, right? We should do what we do for an audience of one. We should do what we do for God and God alone. Because when we strive to please God, we're not striving to please man. Amen. So Jesus says, woe to you when all men speak well of you. He says, woe to you. And, and when we make up our mind and our hearts to serve God with all of who we are, when we say to God, I surrender all in the name of being a disciple, we too must be ready to be criticized just like Christ was. We too must be ready to be hated, to be reviled, and be rejected. The Bible tells us that not everyone spoke well of Jesus back then, right? We see it time and time again, right? He was cursed by men then, and, and I'm telling you here that not everyone speaks well of Jesus now. Yeah. 
right? He's cursed by men now. And no matter what people thought and said about Jesus Christ, it never, ever stopped him from telling the truth. It never stopped him from speaking the things that men didn't want to hear. And that's, my, my brothers and sisters, why it is so critical that we get it right now. Because if we don't, somebody else will suffer later. It's so critical that we get the culture and the context right, even if it isn't politically correct. It's critical that we rightly divide the word of God no matter what the world says or thinks. Why? Because unlike riches, unlike fame, unlike fortune, we're dealing with something that lasts forever. We're dealing with a person's eternal soul. And if we get it right, if we tell them something, if we get it wrong, if we tell them only what they want to hear without telling them the truth, then they may be lost forever. All because we're worried about what somebody might say about us. The world says, don't rock the boat with your religion. Keep it to yourself. Right? You see it all over now. We, we've seen it with the Supreme Court decisions. Everybody says, well, hey. God is love, right? Hashtag, love is love. And that's all they want to hear. They don't want to hear woe to you. So if that's all we're willing to tell them, then Jesus says, whoa. Now I'll tell you something. I, 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 Reverend Tate got mad at me last week. He says, you got to stop saying that. But I'm working my way to my clothes, but i got to let you in on one of the funny ways my mind works. I think if, if you know me for a few minutes, you know that I think a little differently, right? I, 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 I'm, just, I'm just different than the rest of y'all, right? I had no problem last week understanding that it was now and later, okay? I'm just saying. But the whole time that I worked on the message this week, the whole time that I was digging into these verses, when I heard Jesus cry, whoa, I also heard him say, whoa. Okay. <laughs> You're lost, right? You're lost, right? He says, whoa. And I heard him say, whoa. He says, whoa, W-O-E. And I'm also hearing him say, whoa, W-H-O-A. He says, whoa, and he says, whoa. And, and you know what that's called? That's called a homophone. Right? It's, it, it's, it's two words that sound alike but have different meanings. So he says, whoa, this causes me grief, distress, and sorrow. But he also says, whoa, stop it. It's a command to stop or to stand still. It's a command to cease your course of action. So family, he says, whoa, you give me grief. When you're concerned about riches, when you're concerned about being filled, when you laugh now, when all men speak well of you, he says, whoa. But in the same lane, he says, whoa, stop it. Knock it off. Don't do that anymore. If you're chasing riches, whoa. If you're filling yourself now, whoa. If you're laughing now and you're all about laughing and amusement, he says, whoa. If you're just trying to be cute with the word of God so that people will like what you say, Jesus says, whoa, you got it, amen. Jesus may have pronounced these woes, but we, we need to remember that 
He didn't do this at the end of his ministry. He did this at the beginning. If we look at the timeline, again, Jesus was proclaiming these woes at the beginning of the apostolic calling. So what he was trying to do was he was trying to grab their attention and get them to see things in a different way. He was trying to give them a warning about making eternal mistakes, and, and he is trying to do the same thing here with us today. He's trying to warn us from making mistakes that have eternal consequences. He says, woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are filled. Woe to you who laugh now. Woe to you who all men speak well of. But the truth be told, these kind of people, these people that he's pronounced woes upon, these are exactly the people that Jesus is trying to reach. He hasn't given up on you because he's pronounced a woe on you. He hasn't condemned you because you've gone down the wrong path. I'm telling you that if, if you're here today and these woes are echoing in your head, that's just the loving word of our beautiful Savior, our Heavenly Father, the parent above all parents that's telling us to, to stop. Just come to Him, and it'll be all right. I'm here to tell you that God loves you so much that He gives us a warning when we're going down the wrong path. God loves us so much that He is crying out to us, woe and woe. Because when He tells us that now, we don't have to worry about suffering later. Now, I think that Jesus was really trying to prevent the disciples from going the wrong way. And part of me knows that there was at least one in that crowd that was standing around him at that time when he was preaching that never thought Christ was talking to him or about him. Can you imagine the woes that might have rang through the head of Judas, the one that betrayed him when he saw Jesus on the cross? Can you imagine how his eyes were finally opened to the truth of who Jesus was and who Jesus is? And, and he heard those words. He heard, woe to you. I think that there was a moment there that Judas thought that it was too late. Right? The Bible tells us that he threw back those 30 pieces of silver. He repented of himself. But then what did he do? He hung himself. He hung himself because he believed the lie of the devil. He believed the lie that he was too far gone, that God couldn't still use him and that God didn't love him. And if you're here today and you hear the ringing of the woes in your head, I want to tell you, don't believe the lie. Don't believe that it is too late. If you are breathing right now, don't believe the lie. If your heart is beating right now, don't believe the lie. It isn't too late for you. There is time for you to repent. There is time for you to come to him. So that you would hear, blessed are you. Family, this is a call to salvation. I told you I didn't want to preach this message. I didn't want to say, whoa. It's a heavy message. And so our, my pastor teaches us that when we get into these kind of messages, we got to look to the cross. we got to look for the exit sign that says, where do I get out of this? What is the good news in all of these woes? The good news, family, is that this is a call to salvation. The good news is this is a call to repentance. The good news is this is a call to stop what you're doing and to turn around and find your way to the kingdom of heaven. 
Family, these woes are not Jesus' condemnation. They are warning to save us from making eternal mistakes. Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 17, For the God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So how might you be saved? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. I'm here to tell you today that Jesus loves us enough to warn us. And Jesus loved us enough to sacrifice himself for you and for me. That's how much he loves us. You know, Jesus loved us enough to to say, I'm going to step down from my throne on heaven and come to earth. Jesus loved us enough to break through time and come through 42 generations to be born of a virgin. Jesus loved us enough to submit himself to the will of the Father. And he loved us enough to put on human flesh. He loved us enough to experience human suffering. He loved us enough to be tempted and to be tried. He loved us enough to be hated and reviled. But he still loved us enough to warn us with these woes. He loved us enough to be bruised and to be beaten, all for our cause. He loved us enough to be submitted to the nails, to the spear, to the thorns, and to the cross. He loved us enough to take upon each and every one of our sins. And he loved us enough to hang his head and die. But I think we all know, or most of us know, it's not how the story ends. Right? The story says that on Friday, he was buried in a borrowed tomb. The story tells us that on Saturday, he descended into the depths. And the story tells us that on Sunday, early Sunday morning, God the Father raised him from the dead with all power of heaven and earth in his hands that we might be saved. So woe to you if you believe the lies. There's still time to get it right. Woe to you, he warns us, so we don't make an eternal mistake. There's more to life now. It's about the later. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for what you have spoken to us. I pray right now, Lord, that as we, as these words sit upon our hearts and bounce through our minds, God, that you would be glorified and that somebody today would, would recognize that they've been going the wrong way. They would see that, Lord, you called to them while there was still time and that they would come running, come seeking you to get it right. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you, Lord, that you came and you died and that you rose again that we may live with you forever. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.